Welcome back, y'all, to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 21st. This is Nick. I am joined today by Ben and Cody. Um, we are here to talk Clemson football and other Clemson sports-related topics. Uh, before we start, guys, we are on the cusp here of a much-deserved and long-overdue three-day weekend. Memorial Day is this weekend. Uh, what do you guys got going on? Well, I'm actually going to be going to wine country with my uh, with the in-laws. I'm not really I'm not married, but uh, you know, my girlfriend's family is going to be in town uh, from St. Louis, so we're going to go up and enjoy uh, just hanging out with family, enjoy some wine. If you've never been out to San Francisco, you just the wine country alone. It's so beautiful. It's nothing like you would think of like the big city. Very, you know, just a great place. Enjoy some enjoy some wine and enjoy some very nice scenery. So. Just so our listeners know, um, we're we're about one hour removed from both Sonoma County and Napa County, um, so really great, close access to both of those. Um, it's kind of our go-to get out of the city. Generally, the weather is about five to ten degrees warmer up there. We're kind of getting into the foggy season here in San Francisco, so it's a tough life. Definitely, definitely rough out here. Ben, what do you got going on this weekend? Well, uh, my better half has uh, decided that we're going to do some spring cleaning this weekend because uh, she hates fun. Um, that's <laughs> what I got going on. Tell me, how about you? Uh, probably a bit of spring cleaning on this end as well. Um, also, might head up to wine country and if there is time, play, play a little bit of golf. So, let's yeah. get all that in. We're Mostly so, sleep in. We're so proper here in San Francisco. Indeed. Um, so today, just, just a heads up, uh, run through the topics real quick, what we're going to go through. Uh, touch on some headlines um, just to start us off. Dig into some meteor topics. We had some uh, personnel happenings going on this week on the Clemson football side. It's going to affect some of our defensive depth and possibly um, the complexion of our defense. Uh, also, uh, basketball. We've had a number of headlines and updates the past two to three weeks. Um, a lot of it Clemson-related other stuff impacting the overall NCAA landscape. So we'll take a look at that stuff. Um, and moving on from there, uh, just some real quick take uh, finishers for you guys on the podcast today. Um, so to really get us started with some headlines, I think the big one in the ACC has to do, and definitely with our schedule, has to do with Everett Golson, quarterback formerly from Notre Dame, officially committed to transfer to Florida State. Uh, so everyone knows Jameis Winston, I guess you could say graduated, went into the NFL draft, um, moving on from, from Florida State. So Everett Golson coming in from Notre Dame, one more year of eligibility in that he graduated um, this past year. So my initial immediate reaction to this, I know in the past we've touched on not really being worried about Everett Golson going there. Um, to start, you know, there's really not any commitment or guarantee that he's actually going to play it all this season, or he's not stepping in to be number one on the depth chart. Uh, they definitely have, you know, decent depth at the quarterback position there. So, um, you know, no, no guarantee there. However, is a guy like Everett Golson really going to commit, really going to transfer to Florida State without some type of assurance from Jimbo Fisher that he will be playing? So I expect he, we will see him take some snaps there. Uh, so my, my kind of take as a Clemson fan is, you know, it's not a net negative for us, I don't think. Uh, the Florida State playbook, as, you know, a podcast I listen to quite often, uh, The Solid Verbal, another good college football podcast, you know, they mention Florida State's playbook is actually pretty dense. The offense that they run uh, for the quarterback in particular, you know, pretty demanding uh, 
focus there. So, um, you know, can Everett Golson come in and really interpret that and make an impact? We will see. He also, the big knock on him at Notre Dame is that he had fumble concerns. So he does have a national championship pedigree, took them to uh, the title game against Alabama, uh, albeit in a bumpy season. But, you know, I, I definitely think this isn't something that we all need to really be quaking in our boots about. Well, I mean, for me, uh, it, when we play Florida State, they're going to have a talented quarterback no matter what. So, and I'll remind everybody that like Sean McGuire, he beat us last year. So, and I mean, some could say we beat ourselves, but he was the quarterback of the team that beat us. Well, and we had the top defense in the country, and he still got it done. Exactly. So, you know, he is 1-0 against us. So, like I said, either way, Florida State is going to have a talented quarterback. Um, you know, Golson comes in, and if he does become the starter, he's got some talented guys around him. He's got Dalvin Cook. He's got three, uh, three really good wide receivers. But, again, I, I'm not so concerned. Um, he, when I've seen him play, he is a turnover machine. We can talk about the national championship, but I think we all know that Notre Dame was way overhyped that year and had no business yeah. being in that Two or game. three near escapes. Right, to begin yeah. with. So, right. you know, it, it really doesn't concern me that much. They're coming into the Valley. Um, it's going to be his only game against Clemson, and he's going to have to do that under the bright lights of Death Valley, but... You know, the one thing that I will say for Florida State fans, one uh, reason for them to be optimistic for sure about this is that Golson is, is quicker, more elusive, and faster than Jameis Winston, uh, which means that he probably won't get caught with the crab legs as he's leaving the store. So that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's good news for them. Yeah, He'll get, get that protein out of the store. Yeah. yeah. My, my only take on this is I, I really think Sean McGuire will probably end up being at least the day one starter, kind of like Cole Stout was our day one starter. I would anticipate probably like two, three games in, you know, this first sign of failure, um, they'll probably move Golson to the starter. Yeah. Wouldn't you know, like the one year that we play Florida State a little later in the season, they might have a chance to really figure out who their starter is. But yeah, um, they'll, have, okay. they'll have things sorted out by the time they come to the Valley, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe moving on from a headline standpoint, um, Clemson had a commitment this week from a three star wide receiver, um, Cody recruiting uh, mastermind that you are, what's your interpretation here? Yeah, well, first, thank you for the comment. Um, yeah, so Denzel Washington, or Denzel Washington, uh, Denzel Johnson, pardon me, uh, is a three-star wide receiver, and that sentence alone, you know, why are we accepting three-star wide receivers? Um, you know what, they found him, they found him playing Daniel in the Upper State Championship last year, and, you know, they were looking at other recruits, he really stood out to a couple of our assistant coaches. They went back to Dabo. Dabo said, hey, you know, he looked at, looked at the guy on film, really liked it. And he said, yeah, let's offer this guy. But, and I'm not against it, the, the commitment. The only thing is what, what we've already seen now from Ebo, and we'll talk about this later, Ebo uh, having, you know, his issues and, and being dismissed. We're weak in other positions. Wide receiver is definitely not a, a position of need for us. And, and Denzel Johnson's not really a guy we, we need. And he had, uh, on top of that, he had academic excuse me, issues. So, I don't know, it's kind of a, a questionable take at this point. Um, and then, I guess beyond, we'll see how he pans out. Everyone thinks, you know, maybe he could play defense. But I've seen him on film. He's just not, he's, he's not made for defense. He is a wide receiver. So, we'll see how it pans out. Well, let me, let me ask you this. You know, first, you know, his whole commitment thing came before. This was happening before Ebo was dismissed from the team. Um, but what 
Ebo's dismissal also means is it does seem to open another scholarship spot, doesn't it? I mean, at this point, it's probably way too late in the game. We were waiting on this kid. But is there any possibility whatsoever of, of adding somebody to fill that spot at this point? Or is it something we're just going to have to kind of pay to, forward yeah. Yeah, and, and wait till next year? I mean, I, I think Cody's point was probably more that we're recruiting a position where we have immense depth. And at defensive end, we do not. And it might expose, like, are we really best suited spending recruiting resources, even Dabo's finite time, looking at film on a three-star wide receiver when we are flush at that position? And on top of that, too, it's it's not just to offset what we just lost Nebo. Like, let's get a, a defensive end. It's it's really just the, the lack of balance. And that, I think, what you're seeing in what's over the next couple of years will be defensive back is where we're really thin. And that's that's really where that, that scholarship, I think, should have gone. Sure. I mean, and I understand that. that that's fair enough. Uh, I'll say at this point, I'll point to uh, a few guys. Sammy Watkins, Nuke Hopkins, uh, Mike Williams, Artavis Scott. I mean, they, this coaching staff and this recruiting staff has an eye for these athletes. And at this point, I'm more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt just because of what they've done so far. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. They have an eye for talent, but Sammy Watkins was not, you know, he, he, he wasn't flying under the radar by any means. He was a five-star guy. A new Hopkins, I think it was like a high three-star, low four-star. I won't go into all that, but... I mean, I think none of us are going to debate our ability to scout that position and understand where there's talent and even, you know, where that talent can be developed. I just think um, I'll go back to where's our biggest need, and I would say it's probably on the other side of the wall. Um, I don't know that we are splitting resources there to go after it, um, but anyway. Well, and do we talk about this as much if Evo didn't get dismissed from the team? Um, I mean, I, I think these two things happening the same week, it, it yeah. maybe highlights that, that lack of depth on, on the defensive side more, mm-hmm. um, whereas maybe we wouldn't focus on that as much um, had the, the issue with Evo not happened. So, yeah, it's just, just the idea of you want as many people in a position group. It's a numbers game. If you have, for, for example, if you have eight defensive backs, if that's what you have, as you can allocate scholarships there. You want as many four-star guys because what's going to happen is one of them is going to get dismissed, one of them is not going to pan out, another is going to transfer, uh, so on and so forth. Injuries. So, injuries is all, yeah. It's, so, it's I mean, cool. it's similar yeah. to the position we found ourselves in uh, on the offensive line exactly. in, in recent years. And yeah. now we're compensating for that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see your point there for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, certainly... Uh, I feel like recruiting moving forward in the in the immediate future, we'll be taking a look at you know bolstering our depth. Um, Cody, keep us posted on any future headlines coming up there. Um, and really, our last um, sort of Clemson update on the headline front has to do with baseball. Ben, you seem to be keeping closer track than any of us on the baseball front. Well, it wasn't uh, looking too good for uh, Jack Leggett and the bull, uh, boys coming into the weekend series against uh, Florida State, and they just really did a miraculous job over the weekend of sweeping the series. The pitching, the starting pitching has been amazing between uh, Matthew Crownover, uh, Zach Irwin, and Jake Long. Uh, the, the weekend starters have been absolutely fantastic. They've been carrying this team. The hitting's really come along, and that weekend sweep uh, really kind of you know, put life back into the program here at the end of the season, giving us hope that maybe there's a way we can get into the NCAA tournament. 
And so we left that weekend series against Florida State uh, thinking that we might need three wins in the ACC tournament uh, to really secure a spot in the, in, the, in the NCAA tournament. So we went into the first game of the ACC tournament. Uh, coincidence would have it. We got matched up against Florida State again. And just a phenomenal uh, pitching job by Florida State. And we can never really get going. Lost that game 3-1. to one. And it's almost like, you know, it was great to sweep the, the weekend series. But can we win the games uh, that we need to when we need to and capitalize on that uh, that three-game sweep? Now, you know, I, I will say this. I mean, Florida State's a great team. You're not going to – it's really hard to beat any team of that caliber or any team at all four games in a row. Uh, so a little bit of benefit of the doubt there. Matthew Crownover pitched a good game. Um, and then, so that really put us in a position uh, moving forward where Florida State was going to have to lose uh, their next two games in the in the tournament, and us to win out uh, to have the opportunity. That's to, where we sit right now, right? Right to get those uh, three wins because we'd have to make it to the ACC tournament championship game. So uh, today uh, we played Louisville and played an absolutely fantastic game. Zach Irwin. Uh, pitched a great game, and it, it really, you know, it, you know, again, it's just following the line of this great starting pitching that we've had, and it, it keeps our, our options open and gives us hope. Now, Florida State's going to have to lose the next two games, and I think that's going to be the hard part. It's not looking good right now for us to make the championship game. So the question becomes, with the win against Louisville today, with the, uh, the uh, three-game sweep of Florida State over the weekend, and if we can beat North Carolina on Friday, that will give us nine wins out of our last 11 games and several of those wins coming against top quality uh, opponents. Uh, so is that enough to get us in to the NCAA tournament? Um, I'm not sure if it is, although it is kind of a what have you done for me lately uh, type of thing. Yeah. Honestly, if I was uh, other teams... And we got in over them. I would start to question, you know, some of our terrible losses we've had earlier in the season. As we sit right now, we're 31 and 25. If we beat North Carolina, and that's the end of the season, uh, the regular season for us, we'd sit at 32 and 25, and 17 and 13 in the ACC. So, is that enough to get in? I hope so. I, you know, I'm still thinking that the way things have gone, that maybe Jack Leggett should be let go. But I'm not going to pull for the team to lose for that to happen. So I'm certainly pulling for this team to win, and yeah, we'll just have to see what Florida State does, and then we have to, you know, just play our, you know, play the teams in front of us and hope to win. Um, yep. So some other good news uh, uh, as far as baseball goes uh, this week was that uh, Matthew Crowner was named ACC Pitcher of the Year, the first time in the what was it, ten year history? Yeah. So. Apparently, the ACC's only been giving this award, a Pitcher of the Year award, out since 2005. Uh, so this is Clemson's first, as you mentioned. Right. Which, a little curious, they would, they would only be you know, giving this type of accolade out. But Yeah, baseball's only been around for 120 years right. or so. Right, so. definitely. <laughs> so anyways, now, you know, really great for Matthew. Uh, he's had an absolutely fantastic season. It's, you know, he's following the line of, of great Clemson pitchers, and he's had an ERA under two all year long. Uh, I think he's 11-1 after his win yesterday. So, well-deserving. Yeah, the lowest ERA out of qualified candidates. So, yeah, uh, great great news for Clemson baseball. You know, we need great news for Clemson baseball right now, and certainly some came this week.
Excellent. Uh, and actually, before we move on, definitely want to touch on uh, what happened this week with Evo a bit more. But um, sticking with college football, um, this week, Jim Delaney, Big Ten uh, Commissioner of the Big Ten, um, good guy generally, but um, you know, definitely a vocal advocate for his conference on the national scene. Um, previously, there were some collegiate presidents talking about they would potentially be sitting freshmen at their universities. Any freshman commit um, would be sitting for their first year. Guys, we right when we heard about this, we painted that as a kind of not something we would ever expect to happen, and be fully welcome for another conference to go that route because it would probably make recruiting a lot easier for a school like Clemson that starts lots of true freshmen, uh, both at basketball and football. So, is this is this really a story, or is this them just kind of getting into the headlines? I, what's what makes it a story is that it actually got a lot of traction, and even I think the ACC, even Swafford, I think was kind of I don't know I don't know if they were in cahoots or, or whatever. But, I mean, at least by Big Ten schools, they got a lot of traction, and that's very surprising that, I mean, this is, I mean, it's not even, just looking at it from a competitive standpoint, if, why would they do that, and and it's got to hurt recruiting, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the recruiting that they're already putting up a struggle, you know, coming down with the satellite camps into the south, I mean, yeah, it would absolutely hurt their recruiting, it would be one less thing that they have to sell on top of the cold weather, so... Yeah, and what's what's the point? Of, like you said, the satellite camps. What's the point of even fighting for those or having that if you can't come into the South, steal some really good freshmen, and then bring them back up and have them start the first year? I mean, what's the Big Ten doing here? Yeah, I have no. I'm, if you read off a list of like the reasons on paper, it, it's actually very. It sounds very you know noble. Is it a developmental thing? Meaning, you know not necessarily get them into a position where they would be stretched too, too early, too soon, thrown in. They need to adjust to a new life in, in college, a new atmosphere. That's exactly their position. Right. That's their position publicly. What, you know, what, they, what they're saying really behind closed doors, I think they just want to kind of make everything equal, like an equal, uh, equal grounds in terms of like recruiting. If, if everyone adopted this policy and you couldn't really sell these freshmen – that, that are going to play right away on immediate playing time, on this ability to showcase yourself, then I think it would it would even the playing field, and they would. I, but I don't know the, I don't know what their alter, ulterior motive is here. But it's definitely it's not all just a noble cause, and we want the best for our students. That that is absolutely not it. Right. Well, and so in this to me it brings it back to what is the NCAA. Doing? Like, what is their purpose? Why are these different conferences allowed to have these different rules that are... Ben, you, that line of questioning assumes that the NCAA actually matters and actually has any type of real power and influence. And I think they, they're basically pawns and puppets of the schools, of the conferences, of the presidents. And um, it's just sort of like, you know, the commissioner in the NFL basically is the puppet for the owners, effectively. Well, right, I understand that, but at least in the NFL, like, you have throughout the, the, the divisions, the conferences, you still have the same rules apply to all teams. Um, whereas, yes. I mean, this is still an organized... Except for the Patriots. Well, except for the Patriots. So they, they may get punished. We'll see if that holds up. Um, but No, I mean, but your point is fair. Like, it, you know, what's going on? Like, keeping basically the Big Ten, the ACC, you know, we haven't really heard the Pac-12 or the SEC's take on this necessarily. I think you're going to have to pry starting freshmen from Calipari's cold dead hands. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like there is, you know, you kind of need leadership to solidify things and basically enable a level playing field within 
collegiate sports. Well, and, and even if it is not the NCAA, if that doesn't exist, there's all these separate conferences that are, there has to be some overall organizing body that set, but it has to be the same rules. Right. For every conference. You're playing the same level of the sport. So, to me, it's just, you know, again, tied with the satellite camps. The, the whole thing is ridiculous to me. What, what you mentioned about basketball, totally. Like it makes it makes a little bit of sense for football because even some of your top tier recruits don't get to play right away. A lot of times, you know, they'll redshirt. But in basketball, even like your low three star guys are, are coming in and getting minutes. Not only you know getting to play, but they're needed right away. So I, this makes no sense because the Big Ten, you could, I mean, it's definitely a football conference, but they value basketball as well. So hmm. I mean, I don't, I just, I don't, I would love to hear be a fly on the wall. You know, when they're behind closed doors, because there's yeah. some ulterior motives. I just don't know what they are. Yeah. You're asking, like, what's their angle here? And if it's not super obvious, we're left scratching our heads. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, it's not. I, maybe I'm just, like, too jaded by, you know, college athletics and their, you know, desire to make money. But it just doesn't seem like they would really care that much about student athletes. Maybe they do. Maybe they're just great people, but I, I, maybe I'm missing the point. Well, and. I mean, in basketball, yeah, they're ready to go right away. So, you go to the NBA. I mean, a lot of guys are, yeah, a handful of guys are ready to go to the NBA. So, right. sounds good on paper. It just, I, I don't think it's going to work out. So, well, we will be tracking this one closely. Um, so, really, for us, I think the big news of the week on a on a somber note is um, Evo. Effectively, I think everyone knows the news, but um, was dismissed from the team after an arrest. Um, on financial transaction fraud or alleged financial transaction fraud. Um, we don't need to go into kind of the story behind that or the affidavit that um, was put out. I think you can review that stuff on TigerNet if you'd like. Um, but really, I, I'd like to talk about the implications on our 2015 defense in our football team. Uh, I, you know, I know that we watched a shaky cam version of the spring game this year. The plays where he made an impact, he looked explosive. He looked every every bit the player that we thought he would be joining the Tigers from Brooklyn and following up on, you know, a reasonable amount of performance coming out of it, the snaps he did get in the very uh, crowded and very effective defensive line last year. So, um, guys, like initial reactions from this, and we can, you know, touch on it a little bit, some of the other, the fallout, if you will. But what was your initial take from getting that news? I know we were, we were texting a little bit right when that, that news hit. Yeah, well, I guess the biggest thing was just, wow, that, that's one less body that we have, and we just don't have a lot of bodies on the defensive line. And it's not, Ebo's big. I really, coming in right now, we have three guys, we know, including Ebo, that we felt com- comfortable that could go in and make an impact, and that was Kevin Dodd, Shaq Lawson, our starters, and then Ebo. And now that he's gone, it means that some guys, freshmen, redshirt freshmen, are going to have to step in. And, I mean, it's not, it's not the end of the world because the best player on our defense is still Shaq Lawson. And when he goes down, then, yeah, it's, it's doom and gloom, and our season might, yeah, there, I, I don't suspect we could make a playoff without Shaq Lawson, but Ebo, we can, we can make, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, first off, for me, when I see this, I, I first think, like, I, I just hate to see this happen to any, anybody, but especially a Clemson guy, you know, one of our own. So I, I worry first about Ebo, and I just, you know, going forward, you know, he made a, a huge mistake, and I think he takes this as a learning opportunity, and he's able to go on and be successful whatever he does. 
and he, he was able to build off this and build his character as a person. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the football team, it, you know, it's different if we lose a wide receiver at this point because we are so stacked to that position. On the defensive side of the ball, on the defensive end, yeah, I think it is going to make a big difference. And maybe not for your frontline starters with a healthy, full team, but you're reducing your ability to survive one or two injuries, right, as you start depleting that depth. So, and if, and if our offense is going to be scoring, uh, be a little bit more high tempo this year and scoring more, then we're going to be back to a situation where our defense is on the field a lot more over and over again. So you, even without injury, you need that depth to keep guys from getting winded and, you know, somebody to plug in there. So I think it'll be interesting. And Brent Venables, I think, is going to have to look at his scheme and get creative. Uh, we've seen what he can do as a defense coordinator. There's no question in that. So I think given the time that he's going to have to the, to the beginning of the season, he's going to be able to come up with some things to uh, accommodate this and make up for it. Uh, but only time will tell, you know. Well, in the bottom line, in terms of Vivo's the actual talent, his upside is he, we really don't know how good he was. But I don't, I didn't. He wasn't the next Vic Beasley. Like he, just, he wasn't. He, you know, we liked him. He looked, you know, he looked athletic out there. He had a good yeah. build. But he wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to be projected as an All-American by any means. So at least the guys that we have coming in, like Austin Bryan, a true freshman, Albert Huggins, true freshman, uh, Colin Farrell, another true freshman, like the very, very bright future at that position. And if you really want to look at it, you know, just break it down to the nitty gritty, you know, what could Evo give us versus what can a guy like Austin Bryant give us? And there's not a huge difference there. And then you get the benefit of at least you're developing these guys. They're getting reps and it's going to bode well for us in 2016. So it's definitely not the end of the world. Again, if Shaq Lawson goes down, then yeah, doom and gloom. But right. we're not we're not there yet. Yeah, I think it's just our margin of error, which was already fairly thin on the or fairly small on defense, um, does go down with that loss of depth. Um, one other sort of tangential thing that this brings up, um, I think in the in recent sort of years, really um, juxtaposed by some of our competition in the ACC and elsewhere in the state. I always feel like Clemson sort of had this upper hand of, you know, no matter what, you know, we were character first. Dabo Sweeney really set the tone um, as our as our leader, and at, you know, frankly, his hands were tied in this instance. There's an arrest happening here; it's a serious crime, potentially, you know, again, allegedly, and um, it was, you know, it was a mistake for Ebo here. But I think um, I, I almost feel like this might have had a different feel in terms of the result had this incident happened in Tallahassee or even Columbia. Uh, so, you know, by that regard, I feel like we, you know, laud Dabo for making a quick decision here, um, continuing to you know uphold the integrity of the program. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, action was swift. Uh, we heard about the dismissal from the team before we heard about the crime itself, whereas I feel as if some other certain schools, you might hear the rhetoric of, oh, let's let the legal... Uh, process play itself out before making a decision. That seems to happen a lot. So, I mean, this was swift. I mean, he was cut and let go right away. I almost feel as if there were some bridges burned maybe before, like there were some prior incidents. Like where, this went immediately to strike three. Yeah. So, right. and maybe there was a strike run and one and this maybe skipped the strike two just because of the seriousness of the crime. But, yeah, I mean, it was swift and quick and it, it I mean this serves as notice for the other guys on the team you know some guys already know 
um, and new guys coming in, just to remind them, I mean, this is how Dabo runs a program. This is how he's always run a program. And it's refreshing uh, to see that. You know, it's, it's kind of, uh, kind of makes me proud to see the type of program that he runs with, with such discipline, uh, the academic standard that we have, and we're still putting a very competitive uh, product on the field. And we're performing at some of the highest levels. So, you know, it, these casualties can lead to better things, I think. You know, I hate it for Ebo. I hate it for his teammates. Um, and I hate it for the Clemson fans. But, you know, if there's any bright spot to be taken out of this, maybe it's that. that you, know, this, you know, it prevents other things like this from happening. Because you don't hear a lot of things like this happening with the Clemson football team. So Yeah, I mean, you're right, Ben. And... If you want to look at it without like any compassion towards Zebo, and I'm not saying you're doing that, but it, it actually might bode like it might actually bode well for Clemson, or, or it might actually be a good thing for Clemson because if you know if he was if he were potentially like a, a cancer in the locker room, I, I don't think he was. I think by all accounts he was a, a good teammate and good player, but you know you just don't want that anything. You know, think of the worst thing you did in college or in high school is you're probably prompted by that guy that you know who was just a bad influence. You don't want that guy to bring down anybody else. Um, with that said, like Ebo, 20-year-old guy coming from New York who never had a father. Like, I just want to like, you know, say we wish him the best because he came from nothing. Absolutely. And, you know, he, he's 20 years old. Before you say we don't need that crap, screw that guy, you know, whatever the case, just keep in mind, you know, we all did some stupid stuff when we were 20. Oh, and absolutely. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can turn it around. And I hope he goes to another school. Hopefully never plays Clemson, but I hope he goes to another school and turns around and gets in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you said it perfectly. I mean, we all did dumb stuff, and it's this is something that is he is so able to recover from. He just has to put his mind to it. He has to understand and accept what he did, and hopefully he can take a lot of the lessons that he learned from Dabo uh, and apply them to the situation and, and make good um, on what he's done and, you know, Moving forward, you know, wish him all the best for sure. Guys, I feel like this leaves us in a spot with our defense where we're certainly hopeful for Brent Venables. Very good. He's in his fourth year. Can introduce scheme, can introduce development. You know, certainly this incident happened in May, not in July or August. So there is time to take a look at um, the folks that can come in and step in and fill that depth chart. So, you know, again, silver lining here. Uh, but to me, this does reveal kind of a big concern, and we touched on it in the recruiting update. Uh, depth at critical positions in some spots is very thin. At other spots, we're flush with talent. So when I think of the national championship programs that are out there, those that compete for a playoff every year, generally speaking, they do, they do go four, five, six, seven deep with you know, starting national championship caliber talent. And I think we're, we're going to be put to, the, to, put to the test this year, having graduated and having put guys into the first round of the NFL draft at our front seven. Um, so certainly ill times, certainly not great. We don't need to belabor the point. But I think um, when we do want to consider Clemson for that next, make that next step, make that leap into a national championship program, I think really where you see that bear out is not in having guys compete for a Heisman with Deshaun Watson. It's more in the depth throughout your program. And we're getting there. We're getting there with the re recruiting, but we've seen it, especially over the last five years, or we'll say the last four years, really, uh, where we 
performed at a high level. We've won the ACC championship. We've won the BCS Bowl. But there's always been at least one hole in our team that's really kept us from getting to that next level, the national championship level. And a little bit more attainable at this point is a playoff. A little bit more attainable. But, yeah, again, we're, I feel like we're facing the same thing, which is, in this case, it's our defensive line depth, which it's just a consistency. All it comes down to, really, is a consistency of yeah. recruiting. And don't get me wrong. I, I came up in, the, in my Clemson fanhood, first year with Tommy West, lived through the Bowden era. What we're talking about here is... Or, exactly. What we're talking about here is filling holes on an already fast-moving, high-performance ship. Before, we were talking about not losing to Duke or Wake Forest or just a lesser opponent. One time a year, you'd have that trap game. So, now am I happy about... as a Clemson fan? I am overjoyed. Yeah, I no. think... yeah I mean, absolutely. Um, the, the recruits that we've been pulling in lately, I mean, these are guys we're going to be able to fall back on. You know, We have Shaq Lawson. As long as he stays healthy, we got guys like Kevin Dodd, Martin Aiken, Dane Rogers. I mean... We have more quality in the depth that we have, although maybe a minimal amount of depth. We have more quality in that right now. So, you know, I, I think we're strong on one side with Shaq Lawson. We have guys that are serviceable that we can plug in there, and they're going to be able to play. And then, again, we have these high-level recruits coming in, uh, get them in for a fall practice. We have a couple warm-up games at the beginning of the season. I think I'm, I'm going to point to those two games against, what is it, Wofford and Appalachian State. It's easy to, to dismiss those games, but what I've been noticing in recent years is you can look to those kind of cupcake games to start the season and see how we play against them. And I think it is a gauge, at least when our first team plays, because I can tell you right now, neither uh, of those teams should have any business putting up more than 17 points on the board against us. And I don't even care if that's with the third team uh, playing. So I, I, I think, look at those games. I know they're cupcake games, and it's easy to say, ah, oh, you know, whatever, they're not quality opponents. But look at those games. Do we dominate? I don't expect us to dominate like we did last year, but I think that can be a barometer uh, to a certain point to measure where we're at. So it gives us a baseline, and it, I think more than anything, it allows these young guys who have not had the reps at all to get some confidence. They're playing out in Death Valley in a big stadium. Not not high, not, not much at stake, but you know it's 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 a game. It's not it's not high school football anymore. So it gives them a chance to get out there, get some reps, get comfortable, run down the hill, run down the hill. You know, find the pace of the game, which like they always say, it moves a little bit faster than high school, and that's the big thing. I would I'm you know this is a whole other topic, but I'm like completely against playing Georgia on the very first game, or I don't know what, what's going to happen with Auburn over the next couple of years. I'd yeah. Rather never play them on the very first game. That's just bad. Yeah, but they're in the they're in the same position though. They're playing us for the first game, so I I, I, I think I, it does look at if you look at roster composition, like do are we trotting out an upperclassman laden lineup, or do we really have these entire position groups a lot of turnover? Um, there's a lot of benefits having played Georgia the first two games the last two years, uh, in terms of first of all national exposure. I guarantee <laughs> some of these recruits signed on because we beat them at home a couple years ago. So there's well, sort of a trade out there. Well, and let's say you do win that game. You're playing Georgia the first game of the year. You you get past that game and win that game. Now you're battle-tested with a win. 
this year we're going into Louisville. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. We're we're gonna play Wofford in Appalachian State, and then we're gonna go into Louisville Thursday night on the road. I wouldn't say we're gonna be battle tested yet. Is it Louisville? Louisville. 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 Okay. I only saw like a million commercials during March Madness Day. You know, we had to Charles re- rekindle that one for Chuck. Yeah. Um, good point. So anyway, I think, you know, remains to be seen how we fill the depth on defense here. Um, certainly something we'll be watching, talking about recruiting um, as we bring some guests in. Um, and I think strength and conditioning. We've touched on that a little bit, but let's explore that a little further on the defensive front as we go. Guys, I got to move us along here. Um, we, we promised to touch on Clemson basketball and really collegiate basketball in general. We've had, I'll, I'll start actually with some proposed rule changes that the governing body of the NCAA has thrown down. I'll hit the highlights here really quickly and I want to get your guys' opinion having sat through what was at times a very uh, arduous, time-consuming slog of a, of a March Madness tournament. Um, the NCAA is basically making proposed changes to speed up the, the, the gameplay and I think specifically for fans, but also for players to make it um, a little less injury prone of a, of a sport. So the, the real highlights for me, speeding up tempo. Uh, the shot clock will drop from 35 seconds, sorry, 35 to 30 seconds. Uh, the number of timeouts will, will go from five timeouts per team to four. Uh, another interesting one was coaches are no longer able to call a timeout for their team when the ball is live and in play. They'll basically have to summon a player to do that. Um, which I don't know necessarily how that will <laughs> speed up the gameplay. Um, that's an interesting one. Also, there's this whole situation where there are sort of these uh, planned media timeouts, and a lot of times there would be you know, some strategy around where a coach would call a timeout leading up to that. Effectively, they're going to, if you call a timeout right within the zone of a media timeout, they're basically going to collapse the two, and you won't get the benefit of this like, you know, sort of additional kind of slowdown period um, there. So that's another big change related to timeouts. And the last one, which is interesting, might, redu- might lead to a little less um, you know, banged up bodies and injury. They're moving the restricted area where you can no longer basically take a charge from three feet off the baseline up to four feet. So the key and sort of the presence of big men will actually probably move up a little bit in the key, which will be interesting, uh, especially for teams who aren't able to recruit the really big guys who maybe do rely on you know the the, the small physical guards that um, really drive in and, and try to get their their buckets that way. So um, any feedback, guys, from the rule changes? Yeah, they're they're actually. I mean, it's the wall overdue, but I'm so glad that they're they've done this and that and that they it's kind of a bold stance from a, a very bureaucratic you know system, which is the NCAA. Who's very slow? They move at a snail's pace when it comes to change it's, and being progressive. It's probably just a signal of a mandate that every school feels this way. Every, you know, you're probably right because they the did. Fans, they a did bunch a bunch of feedback. They did a poll uh, for coaches of where the shot clock should be, and the overwhelming majority of them said that it should be around 28 or 30. Some even thought it should be at 24. Yep. That I mean, it's just it's no like you could say, well, that's what made the college. That's what makes the college basketball game great. It absolutely does not make the college basketball game great, and it's it's completely possible for uh, college athletes to play at a thirty or a, at a twenty four or a thirty shot thirty second shot clock. Yeah. There are high school girls um, teams who are playing at a twenty four second shot clock. I'm pretty sure men's basketball can do it as well. 
it's really gonna it's, it's gonna baby sp- steps yeah and then yeah baby steps and then on top of that the, the timeouts if you ever watch the NCAA tournament most people have it's a billion dollar industry uh, you see timeouts on top of a t- Top time, on top of timeouts, and it just kills the pace of the game. It kills the flow for both the fan and the players. If you know anything about basketball, it, flow and pace is, is crucial to you know to the to the players themselves. So it, it kills it. Well, the, I mean, the last two minutes of a college basketball game that's close can take half an hour. I mean, I, I recall a time earlier this year uh, listening to a Clemson basketball game while I was at work. I think there was about two and a half minutes left. I left the office at 6 o'clock, I walk home, I have a 20 minute walk, and the game was still not over by the time, I actually got to finish watching the game on TV, just because of the way the timeout situation works, I mean, the, the last two minutes of a college basketball game can be so excruciatingly slow, so, uh, I'm happy about the timeout thing, the speeding up the tempo, I'll tell you this, as a, as a Clemson fan, I am equally excited, as much as I am terrified. Uh, excited because I, I just hope to see more scoring uh, on the Clemson side of the ball. I mean, it, I, I understand, you know, you play to your strengths, you do whatever it takes that gives you the best opportunity to win, but, you know, just hoping that we're able to score 50 points a game, it does get a little boring. So I'm really hoping that this 30-second shot clock, with some guys that we're bringing in uh, and just some guys developing as shooters, can lead to some higher scoring uh, for Clemson. And at the same time, the reason I'm terrified is because the style of offense that we have been playing is not conducive to this. I mean, right. we, we hold the ball to the last 30, you know, to the 35th second usually. And a lot of times we'll get off a great shot. So uh, I'm worried about speeding that up, uh, about uh, the ball handling that's required uh, to, to play a little bit more up-tempo. I know it's only five seconds, but these guys have a timer in their head. You know, it's like muscle memory. So, we'll see. We, you know, we got Avery Jones coming in. I think we're going to have some more be- better ball handling skills the point guard this year. So, uh, maybe we'll be able to adapt to that. So, and then the whole the whole moving the restricted area for the charge. The charge has been such a great area for me and all of basketball for years. It's like a they, strike zone. They keep, yeah, they keep tinkering with this. So, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we can all judge what's a charge and what's a what's a block. You know, watching the game, they slow it down. We still, we still don't really know. It's such a gray area. So yep. that one, you know, we'll let them have. We'll it might take some time for it to uh, propagate through all the refs who also have that muscle memory. Too. Yeah, yeah, right. And then by the by the time everybody catches on, they'll probably change it again. So, right. so. Speaking of how Clemson's going to be able to react to these, uh, you touched on Avery Jones. He's going to be transferring in this year. Um, a lot of these transfers, so we've had a number of transfers announced. They're coming into Clemson this year, which is great news, I think, from a recruiting standpoint uh, of recruiting true freshmen hard enough for Clemson to establish uh, ourselves as a basketball destination in a very competitive ACC, even more competitive with the addition of Louisville, Pitt, and Syracuse in recent years. So getting these transfers, definitely good news. Um, some of them, like I was mentioning, will have to um, basically sit out a year. Um, others will be able to start right away. So guys, uh, we've got some names here, but how do you generally feel like these guys will make an impact to Clemson in their first or second years? Yeah, I like I like the pickup of uh, these transfers. I mean, you're really it's an upgrade in talent. We need that in college basketball. Um, you you can really rely on your guards. You can fall back on them, and 
even to make up for some deficiencies within like the other positions with like you know big men and, and wing players. And you, you've seen that with the success of college basketball teams, a lot of it relies on guard play. And for first, Shelton, Mit, Shelton Mitchell, uh, coming from Vanderbilt, I really like his game. He's a guy that can get into the lane. He's very, uh, very dynamic, and he's shifty kind of. Um, he's not a very good shooter. So here's here's the thing: if you don't have good shooters, you got to have somebody. You know, or if you got a guy that can drive, you need a shooter to be beside him, right? So. You have Avery Jones, which is, was a good transfer, a guy that can shoot. Marquise Reed, um, what, from what I can see, he was a pretty good shooter. So you're adding, when I use the word dynamic, guys that have a, a you know, very, uh, very large skill set um, to be able to, to do a lot of different things. And, and Milch, Mitchell is uh, it's a guy that, man, he's, a really good, he's really good going in the hole. He's crafty when he's around the basket. You know, he can go, go with either hand. And then... My only question is the guys above him, uh, the bigger guys, guys like uh, Jerron Boston game, who, you know, he's getting up there. He only has like a couple more years of eligibility. And then Dante Grantham, who's, who's a, only a sophomore. So these guys really need to develop and putting a lot on, uh, you know, very limited amount of, of big men that we actually do have. They're, they're going to be asked to, to really perform. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think guard play has, you know, Love Rod Hall. I, I love everything he did for the program. I love his hustle and everything he did. But we, we've we been really lacking at the guard position uh, the past couple of years. I so, think really since the days of, like, Casey Rivers. Yeah, well, and, I mean, even having, you know, you remember DeMontes Stitt and yeah. uh, Andre Young. Uh, so, and Cliff Hannons. Like, we've, we've really been lacking there lately. And I think having these guys come in, uh, Sheldon Mitchell, you know, played for Vanderbilt. He had, I think, 4.3 assists per, g- per game in less than 20 minutes of uh, play. So he's going to be a guy that distributes the basketball. Avery Jones is going to come in, and, and he sat out a year last year from uh, uh, University of San Francisco, and he's going to come in this year, and he's going to fill a void. He's going to step in for Rod Hall, and I think he's going to make a big difference. And then Marquise Reed, really excited about what he's going to be able to do. I think he's going to be a dynamic player. He was the NEC uh, Conference uh, uh, Freshman of the Year. So I think it's a huge uh, upgrade to the guard position. We lost uh, Patrick Rooks uh, to a transfer earlier this year. Uh, so, again, the guard position is really one where we needed a, an upgrade. And I think these guys are going to come in and do just that. And I, you know what? I'm... I'm excited about Brad Brownell and how creative he's been able to be to go out and get these transfers to come in because, you know, it's, it's tough to recruit uh, yeah. to Clemson. So, uh, you know, I think these guys are going to come in and fill, fill a void. You know, I, the, the, big, the big men, I think, you know, you're going to see Dante Grantham. Uh, he's started as a true freshman. I think there's great things in his future. Uh, Jerron Blossom game really came on last year. Really excited where he's going to go. Noko, I think, you know, he started to develop, and then last year he kind of plateaued. I, I'm looking to him next year to really take a step and, and really shore up his game. So, you know, we lost to Marcus Harrison, so that's another guard gone. So, I, you know, I think these, these guys are a good fit. And we can talk about the recruits, the other recruits we have coming in later, but just specifically these transfers – uh, I think it's great for Clemson basketball. I'm really excited to see these guys play. Yeah, I think we'll we'll move on from basketball for now, but certainly in a future podcast, touch on um, Tigers and 
how they've how they've um, moved on from the program and perform well in the NBA. We've basically seen two guys start to establish themselves there in Trevor Booker and um, KJ McDaniels, um, as well as the Little John renovation, well underway at this point. We can talk about you know what basketball will be looking like playing their games up in Greenville for the next um, basically year until uh, the fall season of 2016. Um, but you know another topic for another time at this point. Uh, so to wrap up our podcast today, just wanted to hit on some sort of quick highlights, quick hit um, takes at this point. Uh, Cody, you want to take us through some of these? Yeah, so first, Feaster. Tavion Feaster out of Spartanburg. Um, he's, our, he's our next guy. Like you've been wait, you, When you think of Clemson, you think of James Davis, C.J. Spiller, Andre Ellington. We expect to have a very good running back. And not, not to take anything away from the guys that are playing for us now. Because, you know, there's some guys with, with high upside, but uh, Feaster is going to get us back to a guy that is uh, it's going to be one of, one of the nation's best running back. Uh, and he, he actually ran, the, I think, the second fastest 100-meter time in, in all of high school. So you have a burner and uh, just a very, very good running back. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, C.J. Spiller, you're like, how are we ever going to have another C.J. Spiller? And I remember Andre Ellington's freshman year, and he would run, and I would think that was Spiller running. Only to realize that it wasn't, and then Sammy Watkins comes in, and then you know you have New Hopkins, and now you have Artavis Scott, and you're like, oh man, I think we are going to keep replacing these playmakers. Uh, so Tavion Feaster, next guy, let's keep building upon that. Yeah, just keep that. Yeah, watch his high, watch his highlights, his high school film. This is uh, this is the next big thing for Clemson. So maybe stepping away from uh, from athletic football programs, Georgia Tech, perennial rival of Clemson. We play cross division against them. There are. One team from the coastal that we match up every year. Uh, there's there's talk. Not sure how much this is coming from Paul Johnson, their athletic director, but in general, the Yellow Jackets want to see if they can finagle their their way out of facing up with Clemson every year. Uh, what do you guys think? It's good for us. I I think it's kind of it, it was bad for us. It's a little bit good for them, but neither one really tips the scale too much. I think they probably don't want us coming to their area because we've done such a good job recruiting in Georgia. And we are really good now, so we might beat them. So yeah. I guess I, I still it kind of doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't want to play Florida State and Clemson if you're in the ACC though, right? Because that's 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 a draw for both recruiting and and just you know filling up this, the butts in the seats. And just just as much as we'll bring you know ten fifteen thousand people down to Atlanta for for a lot of a lot of their home games, um, I, I feel like for us you know they they generally always finish in the top two or three of the coastal. So from a strength of schedule standpoint. You know, a lot of times our other opponents within the Atlantic, you know, kind of hamper us a little bit on the national scene. And knowing how important strength of schedule will be in the playoff consideration going forward, I think, you know, it would be nice to keep Georgia Tech um, as our our every year schedule. Well, you know, I've, I've for me, I've got kind of mixed emotions about this, uh, primarily because you know, first I'm thinking, uh, what are they scared to play us? Is that why they're trying to opt out? And the other side of me is like. I hate playing Georgia Tech. Right. Absolutely hate playing Georgia Tech. Do you ever feel comfortable going into that game? I never feel comfortable I mean, going into that game. Although, the, the one thing that I will say on the years where they're expected to win uh, their division is that it may be helpful to be able to play them early in the year if we expect to play them again in the ACC championship game. Right. Because, you know, then we've gone up against them. But just in general, I hate their style of play. I know it's successful. I just hate watching it. I hate the, the, the chop blocking. So, 
You know, if we don't have to play him, I'm well, not going to shed a tear. Let me ask you this. If we had to move away from playing Georgia Tech every year, knowing who you know in the Coastal, and I'm a little hazy on the, at, at the moment of how the new ACC schools have you know, peppered into the divisions, but um, who would you like to replace them with? Who do you think would be an acceptable caliber? Virginia Tech or Miami, and probably Miami just because that, that's a huge recruiting opportunity to be able to play them year in, year out. Um, but Virginia, hey, that, that's actually a place where we're getting some recruits recently. It's not all about recruiting, but I think when you look at the brand of Miami versus the brand of Virginia Tech, I mean, they're both pretty strong, at least as compared to Georgia Tech. What about Duke? They're one of the best teams in that division right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who, who would have ever thought we said that? <laughs> where have we where have we come? Like when they when the ACC expanded originally in like 2005, when they picked up Miami and Virginia Tech. Little did they College. know that in Boston College? Little right. did they know that ten years later that Duke could be the best team out of all of those. Well, I put that down to them, not us. So right, it's not our job to beat a bunch of you know lesser programs every year. Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll keep an eye on this one. I mean, do you guys feel like this will come to a head in scheduling in the next two years? Do you think this is just them posturing here? Who, who knows? The, I mean, nothing, yeah. nothing formal's come out of that. So we'll, right. we'll just have to see. Interesting, interesting to, to hear that, though. Yep. Big time. Um, speaking of perennial opponents, South Carolina, continuing a, a long and proud streak for them, has lost yet another uh, commitment from... Um, a wide receiver recruit this week. So, guys, this doesn't seem like an isolated incident. They've certainly had a number of decommits this offseason. Where, I know this is tough for you to do, but if you're a Gamecock fan, are you in panic mode? Yeah, I, can, I, I think I can speak objectively about this because I went there, but no. Uh, Does that make you an alum? No, I didn't graduate from there. But uh, Well, there's not many alum. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> No, you're not in panic. I mean, you're not in panic mode because this wide receiver left. You're in panic mode because Spurrier's about to leave, and where do you go from here? It could. I mean, is that, the cupboard bare when he leaves? Well, and that's and what I'm the saying. Bear. I'm but, waiting for Spurrier to decommit any day now. And I mean, honestly, I'm also interested in seeing how many football games the fan base decommits at halftime this year and walks out. Yeah, but it's okay because Alabama is the consensus number one. That's true. So going into the season, so yeah. they're all set. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm glad that we got Mark Phillips from USC. I don't really, I'm not putting like a whole lot of like worry or stress or even attention at all into USC. Well, and I think that proves that this is the turning point. I mean, you know, the streak is over. They've had their fun. I think it's a, it's just a new landscape in, in, in South Carolina football. And yeah. they're definitely on the backside of the hill going down. So for me, you know, now I'm just, no, never mind. I it's kind of sad, though. It's I like I like when they were good. I don't like them beating us, but I like when they're good. I felt like when we beat them this year, it was satisfying, but they just weren't that good. I, mean, I like we were, when we beat them sixty-three to seventeen. So I don't care if they're good or bad when that happens. Hey, we're if, trying to get into a playoff. We're if we're talking about it, it's hard to be objective. If we are talking about it in terms of quality of opponent and strength of schedule, we need every win we can get against quality opponents, ranked opponents. Exactly. And I don't, I mean, it's just not going to help us. It doesn't matter that you beat your rival or you didn't when the playoff committee is deliberating on your, your qualifications to make the playoff. So I want the, I don't want them to be like top 10, like, like where they've been, but I'm okay with them being a top 25 team and beating them in that situation. Yeah. Ruin their season. Ruin their season. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, cool. Well, guys, we got to wrap it up. We got to go. Any parting thoughts? I just want to say congrats to the Clemson uh, women's uh, 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 track team. They won the 2015 ACC Outdoor Track Championship. Boom. So c- congrats to them. You know, we actually win championships in real sports, That's not right. equestrian or fishing. Let's see what they can do at nationals. There we go. Yeah, and, and then just piratesonly.com. You know, land folk just don't get it. Thank you to piratesonly.com. Thank you to y'all for listening. Go Tigers. We'll catch y'all next time for episode 10.